Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Mortiff, and I'm an alcoholic. Allow me first to apologize to Roy and to express my regret over not hearing all of your remarks. I'm sorry that I wasn't present for everything you said. It is so good to be here tonight to see so many of my old friends whom I haven't seen for, in some cases, for many, many years. Roy, Kent Hayden, Audrey Hayden, Jack Turton, and others whom I have not yet seen this evening. I am fortunate enough to see Cliff now and then, and Al now and then, but not Sybil. And I want to thank Sybil before I say one more word for your very kind and generous remarks about me, dear. Thank you. But those of you whom I have known for a long time can probably realize how glad I am to see you tonight, and I hope you are glad to see me. As I look over the room and realize how many other meetings are being held all over the nation and perhaps all over the world this evening, The major thought that I have is, what hath God wrought? It has been suggested that you would be interested in hearing something of the early days of AA. And so I will try to briefly enlighten you about some of the events that took place 35 years ago. That's a long time ago, ladies and gentlemen, a long time ago. <laughs> And in order to, at least in an attempt to avoid uh, omitting something that might be of interest to you, I've had to make some notes. And so I hope you'll forgive me for referring to these notes from time to time to refresh my fading memory. My first contact with AA was through the book about which I heard from a physician in Denver where I then resided. This was late in 1938 or 
in early 1939. I sent for a copy of the book, and when it arrived, I sat down to read it. And on a table beside the chair in which I was sitting, there was a bottle I don't know whether it was bourbon, scotch, rye, I don't know what, but it was there. And each time I read three or four pages of the book, I took a drink. So after about 40 or 50 pages, I believe, <laughs> I was in a haze and a daze, too, I guess. And I put it aside to read another time when I was sober. I don't believe I ever opened that book again until December of 1939. But between early 1939 and December 1939, I made a trip to California, a motor trip to California. I left Denver on a cold, raw day in late in November 1939, stone sober, and had been, as a matter of fact, for ten days, which was quite an accomplishment, for me, anyway, determined that I would come out here to visit my brother, who lived here in Los Angeles. And in a small town, not far from Denver, about 15 miles, as I mentioned a moment ago, it was a cold, raw day, I stopped with the idea and expectation of having one drink. I think I had two drinks in that bar, and then drove down the street, and had had a couple of more in another bar, and then bought several bottles of liquor and started to California. Some three weeks later, <laughs> I arrived in Los Angeles by way of Wyman in Mexico. <laughs> and that is quite a long way around, I think. I have very little recollection of that trip. I remember crossing the U.S.-Mexican border at Nogales, and I remember a small village which I think was called Hermosillo, perhaps some of you know it, on the road between Nogales and Wymas. And I remember Wymus, vaguely. I remember 
a lovely hotel there, at which I was a guest. And I remember it was operated by the Southern Pacific Railroad Company, I think. I also remember crossing the border on my return to the States at Nogales again and registering in a motel on a hill right outside the city of Nogales, Arizona. As I'm sure all of you may know, Nogales, Arizona, and Nogales, Mexico, are just right across the street from each other. In any event, I seemed somehow or other to have evaded the Mexican police motor or whatever they call it uh, in 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 the in Mexico. I don't know what they call it, but at least I was never bothered by the equivalent of the, for example, the California Highway Patrol or any police department in Nogales, Hermosillo, or in Wyoming. But when I finally crossed the border, a couple of Arizona Highway Patrol officers caught up with me. And instead of taking me to what well, to the equivalent of what we now call the slammer, they drove me to the motel at which I was staying, took the keys to my car, gave them to the clerk, and said, don't give these keys to this guy until he is sober, and preferably not until tomorrow. And believe me, the clerk followed their instructions. That was the only encounter of any sort that I had uh, in three weeks of virtually uh, not even drunk driving, I guess that's all, <laughs> just plain drunk driving, uh, in a haze all the time, but somehow or other, the Lord had his arms around me. In any event, I finally reached Los Angeles about the middle of December in 1939 and went to the home of my brother who had invited me here to be his guest. I stayed there for about a week and finally left in mortification over my inability to get sober and stay that way. I was embarrassed for my sister-in-law and especially for my niece, whom I dearly loved. And I drove to Palm Springs and registered in a hotel in Palm Springs and proceeded to get very drunk and stay that way for about a week or ten days. 
on the night of the 29th, I think, or the 28th of December, I awakened in the middle of the night, or probably a little later than that, about 3 a.m., very badly in need of a drink. And smart as I had been about having a bottle around all the time, I had finally outsmarted myself, and I didn't have that bottle, and there was no drink available, and I knew of no place to get it in Palm Springs at that hour of the morning in 1939. Providentially, I had included the book in my luggage when I started on this motor trip. And in desperation, I started to read the book. I read it twice that day, that early morning rather, and the ensuing hours of the day. And I have never had a drink since. It will be 36 years, the end of this coming December. Thank you. I stayed here in California for a few weeks after getting sober, principally at my brother's home here in Los Angeles. And then I decided to return to Denver to see how my newfound cure would work among my old drinking haunts in Denver. And it worked. I made contact with a fledgling group in Denver and found to my complete amazement one of the members, a girl I had known all my life and someone I didn't dream had an alcoholic problem. But I didn't stay in Denver long. I wanted to come back to California, and I did. And that was in March of 1940. Shortly thereafter, <clears throat> A.A. as we know it today, began with a meeting on the last... Friday in March, or the first Friday in April of 1940, and I have never been able to really remember which. I don't know that it's important. At that time, we didn't consider, or at least I didn't consider, any dates important at all. I know I, for one, had no idea 
that AA would ever become what it is today. There were 12 or 14 people at that meeting, including the wives. It was held on the mezzanine of the Cecil Hotel at 6th and Main here in Los Angeles in the heart of Skid Row and the location was selected because the price was right $3 I think it was for the rental of the facilities for the evening and secondly there seemed to be a good at least in my mind psychological reason for holding a meeting in that area because I believed it would show us all where we were headed unless we did something about it. At that meeting, we had no, I led that meeting, and in the absence of directions or guidance from New York, I didn't know what to do, and as Roy Jurgen said earlier, the book had worked for me, and I felt that it would work for anyone who really followed it. And so I turned to chapter 5 and started to read from it. And that is how the custom of reading, to the best of my knowledge it is anyway, how the custom of reading the 12 steps together with the preamble thereto and a couple of paragraphs thereafter, that I believe to be the origin of the now widely accepted and practiced custom, uh, at least in Southern California. This was not a stroke of genius on my part. It was because I didn't know anything else to do. <laughs> and as I said earlier, I had no direction, no guidance from any source whatsoever. We took up a collection in those days, as we do nowadays, and we used to get 80 or 85 cents, including streetcar tokens and pennies. But somehow or other, we managed to come up with the three dollars each week. And what little more we needed for postage and perhaps telephone calls and whatever. Somehow or other, we managed to come up with it. And I look over this audience tonight. I'm not sure... If there's anyone in this room, possibly Cliff, 
who was there at that first meeting. I don't know whether it was the first one. Were you, Cliff? Fine. Wally King, is he in the room? He might have been there. And I can't recall who else was at that meeting. In any event, we had our troubles and our problems. And a couple of our members were living in an apartment. And this, I think, (laughs) has been told before, but I think it bears repetition. A couple of our members were living in an apartment not far from here on Monroe Street. We passed it on the way over here tonight. And one of them got drunk. So we sent another member up there to sober him up. Or to sober them up, I guess both of them got drunk. And pretty soon we had three drunks on our hands. So we sent a fourth member up there to see what he could do with the three. And you guessed it, pretty soon we had four drunks up there on the road, in the Monroe Street apartment. In any event, practically everybody in AA at that time, with very, with the exception of, I don't know, two or three or four of us, got drunk. (laughs) And this was in the early weeks of our Cecil Hotel meetings. This was somewhat discouraging, I must admit. (laughs) But we were determined and we persevered and we grew and we moved from the Cecil Hotel to the Embassy Hotel, I think that's at 8th and Grand in downtown Los Angeles, to a room that was about five times too large for us. We soon moved out of there. To the Elks Club. Now that's at 6th and whatever. But before... I go into, briefly go in uh, to that era of AA. I must tell you about what happened on the mezzanine of the Cecil Hotel. One night, let me see, did I, I can't recall whether I got the letter first. I think I did. I got a letter from a man over in Arizona who said that he had heard from Time Magazine that help was available for alcoholics in Los Angeles, for alcoholics who wanted help in Los Angeles. And that they had given him my name, and was that correct? And I replied that it certainly was. And the letter was signed, Frank Randall. A few weeks after... Our meeting started at the Cecil Hotel. A man walked in one night with an attendant in a white (laughs) uniform. And lo and behold, it was Frank Randall from a sanitarium in Compton. And apparently they wouldn't let him out without an attendant. (laughs) At least that's what I surmised anyway. And I think I was correct. He returned 
Thank you so much. He sat quietly at all of those meetings, and to the best of my recollection, he never asked a question. And all of a sudden, at the conclusion of a meeting one night, he came up to me and he said, um, What the hell keeps you sober? And I said, Well, to the best of my belief, it's trying to practice the principles set forth in this book. And he said, I'd like to help you. And I said, fine, I can use all the help that I can get. In the meantime, I had been down to see him twice at the sanitarium in Compton, and one time he was so stiff he had a bottle of gin in bed with him. And how he, how they ever permitted it or how he got away with it, I'll never know. But in any event, he said to me he wanted to help me. And was there anything he could do? And believe me, there was plenty. As I stated a moment ago, we moved from the Cecil Hotel to the embassy at 8th and Grand. That was too large for us. We then moved to the Elks Club uh, at 6th and, I don't know what street that is, but it's, it's 6th and Parkview, right, thank you, into a room uh, downstairs in the Elks Club. And that became too small for us. So we moved into a room upstairs in the Elks Club. And about that time, the Jack Alexander article appeared, and that was in March of 1941, and we had a veritable deluge of inquiries of every description. And I recall the Friday night following the appearance of that meeting, I went down, to the, went to the meeting there at the Us Club, and they were lined up for almost a block around the Elks Club, people wanting to get into this room that seated probably not more than a third of the number here tonight. But we were equal to the occasion. We outgrew the Elks Club and moved across the street to a place called the Regent. It was a little larger. We outgrew the Regent and moved to a place called I don't know what it was called. Parkview Manor, I think they called it. At 2200 West 7th. Run by a man by the name of Farber. Who looked askance at us when we told him that the, what the purpose of renting this hall was to accommodate <laughs> a bunch of ex-drunks. I'm sure that Mr. Farber, wherever he is, God rest him, he was a great friend of ours. I'm sure he thought we were going to take that place apart. But we didn't. And he rented us one hall, and then another hall, and we grew, and we grew, and finally, people began, war had broken out, 
1939, and all the penniless, jobless, carless people who came to our meetings on the bus or PE or whatever, however, however they could get there, were beginning to get work, get a little money, get ahead a little bit, buy a car, and then came gas rationing. <laughs> and nobody could get gas ration stamps. Not to come to AA meetings in the beginning, though later on we did prevail upon the ration, ration board to grant us additional stamps. But that is what gave rise to the neighborhood group. The absolute necessity. The members couldn't get to 2200 West 7, and they had to have a place, and they formed their own groups, each in his own locality. And now, as you all know, I, I, I couldn't begin to estimate the number of groups there are in the Los Angeles area. Most of which came out of, or many of which anyway, to be uh, conservative about it, came out of the 2200 West 7th group which became known as the mother group. By that time, Frank Randall was my co-leader, and together we conducted the meetings at 2200 West 7, and did the best we could. And the Lord was with us. And we thrived, and we flourished, and we grew. And finally, in September of 1942, Frank and I relinquished the leadership of the mother group at 2200 West 7th and turned it over to others who were perhaps more qualified than we to continue with the work. I know very well despite my notes, that I have omitted many incidents that were important to us in those days. Everything was a trial and error proposition. We had no guidance. We had no knowledge of how meetings were conducted elsewhere. We just went by the book. And I cannot conclude my remarks this evening without paying tribute to those of, to those who helped us along the way, those whose contribution to the welfare of AA and the growth of AA can never be measured in words. Some of these men are gone. Some are still with us. Those who are still with us are Cliff and Dorothy Walker. 
سوم اکسوال کت اند آدری هایدن هال اند سیسیلی مارنو روی یورگن والی کینگ هو از نات هیر تنایت فرانک تاتچر هو از پاسد آن And I've already told you about Frank Randall. Some of the others who have passed on, who were great contributors to the welfare and the growth of AA, are Ham Bigelow, Pete Cunningham, Jerry McCumber, Lee Havener, Bay Loomis, Tex Adams, and others whom I cannot remember at the moment. I have just touched on a few of the highlights and a few of the incidents which occurred in those days. I hope for those of you who have not heard these anecdotes before that, that it has been interesting and I thank you all ladies and gentlemen for the privilege of addressing you tonight and for being here with you tonight Sybil my dear I thank you for asking me and Jules I don't see you anywhere but Jules Well, anyway, Jules Pilcher also. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen.